T-R-E-K-E-L-L One K and two L's One K double L Order my my brush set Brush set, brush set, brush set, brush set, brush set, brush set Hello Jay, you look like a hostage video Yo, you hear me? Can you hear and see me? Yeah Does it look or sound pretty good? Does it look alright? Sound good? It doesn't matter how it looks. Hey, Jay. Where, Tony, are you in, uh, you know, you're in Austin. I'm in Texas. I'm in Dallas. You sound He's way better Dallas. than whatever you did, Jay. Yep, I fixed it. You sound really good, actually. What'd you do? I turned the volume up. Right on. So on this episode, we're, um, we're talking to uh, Anthony Masvateo, right? Yeah. So we caught up with Tony Mashed Potatoes at the FACE conference, which was like, yeah, a long time ago. And it was a while uh, back. so it's a very different uh, conversation than what we'd be having now. But, um, uh, you know, in re listening to it, uh, I was just reminded about how how much fun it is to talk to Tony. He is, it, his mind is just, it, he's very open. And almost everybody we speak to comes from it, from like just, drawing obsessively as as kids and i think mm-hmm. tony comes from from like a slightly different angle which is which is fascinating to kind of see then how he looks at it he's he's got his own lens on it yeah so yeah i enjoyed it i love tony i think he's a great person uh great thinker great artist uh really good conversationalist um so i'm 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 looking forward to hearing this again as much as hopefully everybody is who's listening to this right now but of course it has like nothing to do with our current, our current situation, situation and, yeah because again uh, it, was, it was recorded well, let's, oh, let's wow. talk about um let's talk about conversation towards the end where you know you get into a discussion of the virtues of doing this in person rather than uh over the internet as we are doing that let's talk about that for a second the thing is like we re- none of us you no, none of the three of us we were like yo that internet is whack you know we're gonna do, <laughs> we're, we're gonna do this live all the time all Take the time day. you gotta do it live or don't do it at all i mean and you know what we who knows if we ever would have come around to this if not for the fact that we were kind of forced to, and like, are they perfect? No. Are they super varnished and a hundred percent audio, audio file quality? No, but we get them out. I'm not happy with it, but uh, I think it's what we can do now. And uh, to be honest, I was always uncomfortable in the same room as Jay, but (laughs) now I've got license to avoid him. You yeah. see, there are there are countless advantages. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, no, no, I'm just saying it's a little more awkward, but like we can do this. It's different. You know, the original idea of of you know when we were doing the podcast was it was this cross section as if we were you know at dinner together at a bar together talking about art or talking about whatever we want, and that was the original intent, and it still is. Now, when this is all through do i want to get back into the same room with everybody absolutely i think it's just important to continue the conversation with you know with our colleagues and people we admire and and just people who are doing interesting stuff or have something interesting to say 
So I think just putting it out there in any way possible, I think is worthy. So, you know, I'm, I'm fine with it. I, you know, I agree with Ted, but I get to talk to my friends. Uh, I get to talk to people that I like. And I think that to me, I, I, if anything, I actually, I need that. I like that more than I ever thought I would even yeah. run through the, the, um, the internet. I'm fine with it. You know, I'm not going to poo poo on it too much because I, I'll take what I can get. Yeah, I always kind of consider myself something of a, you know, creative shut-in. But, like, man. <laughs> I think a lot of us spend a lot of time alone in our studios. I just never. Breaking it out. It, it was just a different idea why we were spending a lot of time alone in our studios and being forced. Yeah, but, but I'm saying now suddenly seeing somebody even on a screen and interacting with them is more valuable than I ever thought it was before. Yeah. That's for sure. I, I agree. And I think I have to say able. with kids, I, I'm alone a lot less than I normally. <laughs> oh, no, no. Actually, Ted makes an amazing point. I was just yeah. on the phone with a friend of mine um, just earlier and we we're talking about I'm even though I'm not painting, I'm busier and more tired than I've ever been in my whole life. Yeah. You know, it's every night I go to sleep exhausted from the day of just a million things to do. You know, whether it's chasing around kids, whether it's, you know, ordering groceries, going to get groceries, doing stuff. And oh, by the way, I went out for the first time um, yesterday. I was telling Ted about it. To, to, he went um, to a barbecue with his neighbors so they could make out. And... <laughs> no, I had to go fax something. Because he's in was, Texas. <laughs> I, I, I had to go fax something. It was the first time I was out. And I was wow, this is crazy to be out and about. I had a mask on and everything, but it was, it was, it was definitely pretty weird to be out and about, you know, but I hope you kept your distance from people. Oh my, me. Are you kidding? I'm like the most, like I need to, I'll, I'll run in the opposite direction. Um, but anyway, I think this episode of Tony is a really great one. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, yeah. And thank you to, uh, to face for, for bringing us together. We're actually, where we believe it or not, this. even through all this, talking about uh, the next phase, which would be, yeah. you know, assuming that it's possible to meet end of October group, uh, end of October in Baltimore, Baltimore, and uh, yeah, I just talked to them today actually, and we were talking about the um, the lineup. It's a killer lineup, so um, yeah, and the wire, and the wire, one of the greatest one of the greatest series ever made. Um, but yeah, Baltimore in end of October. Um, and I think if that's happening, which we all hope that and many other things happen, I think it's going to be some really crazy conversations going on, some really interesting ones, because this, what's going on now is going to be a huge topic and there's just no way around it. There's going to be a lot of discussion of what's happening, what happened. and. Um, and how it affected, you know, what we're doing and how it might affect the future of what we do. So I think it'll be very, very interesting. It'll be, um, it'll be good to hear, uh, you know, some, 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 some very smart people's opinions on, or, or, or ideas about it. So we'll see. Um, anyway, again, thank you so much for, you know, continuing to listen. We hope uh, you're enjoying these. Uh, I know I am. I like, talking to Ted and Jay when I can, even if it's over Zoom. Yeah, it's good to catch up with you guys. Yeah, and um, 
Always um, gotta, hey, always gotta. <laughs> Tony, what, uh, what brushes are you painting with these days? Well, thanks for asking, Ted. Let me tell you what brushes I'm uh, working with. Right <laughs> quiet, quiet. So lately, I've been really digging these Tony Sur and I custom beautiful brushes from Treckle. And I'll say this. Um, Where do you buy these brushes? You buy them from treckle.com. Are they shipping now? They are actually shipping. And I would say um, they're selling pretty well. So uh, I would definitely get on them because... Um, you know, it would be the best thing of all is if there was a promo code that people could use when they're checking oh, to out. to save money. Yeah. Can yeah. You, you know what? That's a great point, Jay Braun, because there is a promo code. No way. This is totally. So Wait, bad. If you put plug. in, if you, plug, put in SD, <laughs> if you put in SD20, you get, how much do you get off? I don't even know these days. I don't know. Why don't we look it up? Why don't we look it up? Wait a second. Ten percent off any ten percent, but especially the Tony Cerny limited edition brush set. Yeah, yeah, which is limited edition, and uh, yeah, you better get yeah. on it. I mean, get it while it lasts. Sooner than later, because uh, they it's a lovely brush set, but they won't last forever. Yes. Anyway, thank you so much to Treckle as always. Um, and thank you so much, Jay Braun and, and, and Edward Minoff. Thanks Edward. to our listeners. Thanks to thanks our to listeners. And our thank supporters. you to the listeners. Also, thank you to Mashed Potatoes. Tony Masvateo. He's, um, yeah, thanks for that. And um, I'm sure we put some sort of uh, how to get in touch with. He has a website and stuff. We'll, we'll put all that in the, um, in the info uh, so you can so you can see all that stuff. So anyway, thank you, Tony. Thank you, Faze. Thank you, Treckle. Thank you, Jay Braun. Thank you. Ted, and thank you all for being amazing, lovely people. And we'll see you all very soon. Again, all right. Do a quick all, right. all right, boys. Thanks. Yeah, so, uh, sorry yeah. for the late night. I'll send this to you, Jay. Uh, and you got to cut Probably the not tonight. <laughs> probably tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. Best of luck and God bless, guys. It's like they're invested in it now, and now it's almost like we can't let them down for any decision we make. So they'd be like, why but would you do that? The irony is that any decision we make will let them we'll down. Let them down. <laughs> yeah. Generally, everything we do is pretty not much yeah. not completely right. <laughs> and by the way, I've let everybody down who's ever been in my life ever. So. <laughs> Children, <laughs> wife, club, family. <laughs> yeah. is, is there somebody who's, and I don't, know, I don't know if I'm using the word correctly, but prominent in like painter you know, social gallery person, kind of whatever cultural figure Tony that doesn't like the podcast. Sirenoi. That's that person. I mean, name. we haven't had. I, I mean, don't like somebody that reaches out to you and, and, and says somebody who's a painter. It, it, yeah. would, it, like it has some weight. You know what's the thing is that like, and this is the problem with the internet is that like people criticize anonymously, and nobody. And I understand it. Like 
if you put your name on a critique of something, like if you were to criticize the podcast, it'd be you and we have conversations all the time and it would be, you know, we could actually, it could be a conversation. But if you didn't know me and you just decided to like criticize my work, I think you would feel more comfortable doing it anonymously. Like even if it was constructive because you don't want me like, you don't know, maybe I'm volatile, maybe I'm gonna like come after you and just right. like anytime you post something, just attack it. Like nobody knows, so people do it anonymously and there aren't real conversations. And I, I think it's bad, like nobody gets better because either it's anonymous just like lashing out or, but there aren't real conversations. And Instagram is nice because people are nice on it. It's not, I think Twitter is like a whole different. I think Twitter is yeah. maybe the most vol volatile place anywhere right kind now. Kind of, but you know, also I think if you're able to kind of separate yourself from it, uh, like that kind of criticism, like if you don't take it personally, can actually be more constructive than people saying, hey, great job, you know, really like right. what yeah. you're doing. But the problem with what you were saying about it, the reaction time of people wanting to jump in and criticize it in its own, to me, it's like, I just want to be heard, please listen to me, because I don't want to be, I just don't want to be uh, gone. So people are so quick, and usually like um, anger and is the is is the thing that squeaks the loudest you know the the squeaky wheel thing and i think people are just so fast to criticize and bully to the point that um you know when we were talking about and, and so much in politics and everything but but uh that it's better not to respond because that's actually what they want. It's just a response. Like, thank you for talking to me. Now I can like go at you hard. I've actually responded once or twice at, at the whole time we did the podcast to somebody mm -hmm. who just said something kind of mean. <laughs> and it's amazing that they're like, oh, hey, so anyway. And they were like all of a sudden like, oh, you listen to me. Right. But a lot of it is like back in the day or whatever, when you had to write an article or when you had to, when something was going to be published, because now everything is published, like a Twitter. Uh, um, you could write Twitter letters rant. into like you the had, Times if you got a like bad book review. And yeah. You could like, right. uh, but your name is on it. But at the same time, uh, yeah, the whole anonymous so, thing isn't. But the but but what ended up happening is that they just thoughtfully have to write something as opposed to just like yeah reaction. It's all reaction and emotion. Yeah. What uh, so? What would your your critique be? I, I, to, honestly, the, the only critique I have is mm -hmm. that what I remember what we talked about before of what the podcast was going to be mm -hmm. of just. Like a d more kind of broad spectrum right. of, yeah. And, and not only, because I, I even see it even at face, right? Like mm -hmm. it's an overwhelming number of like Water Street influence people. Right? Face it's meaning not, the convention right we're here. at right now. So yeah. we're so face is a face convention. And we're, are we rolling? We're rolling. Oh, yeah, we're rolling. So the okay. Suggested Donation Podcast, I'm Edward Minoff. <laughs> that was Tony Sir and I, yeah. and we're speaking with Anthony Mastromateo who we affectionately know as mashed potatoes. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, so it's, so, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, no. No, please. but you were saying it's mostly like, let's say, Water Street Atelier people. Um, yeah, we're probably people recording. who are in this, like, this figurative tradition. And yeah, I would say it's a disproportionate percentage of a particular viewpoint. A monoculture. It's a, it's a monoculture. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but I think that's why, you know, when we were talking about your talk, you were giving information, but 
in that information, there's a thousand different paths yeah. that are quote unquote correct that you can take you could and choose run with. This yeah. panel, you mm-hmm. could do this panel, you could do this. This is what I do. This, is, yeah. and so imagine. I also think within that tradition, either historically or now, there's also a thousand different ways. And I just think it's kind of, it, it, but if you're in a vacuum, like I notice it because I'm not in that place, right? I'm in the middle of like oh. shit nowhere, right? <laughs> so you notice that, that that when you get into it, that, this podcast sponsored by the state of Ohio, <laughs> <laughs> the Travel Bureau. <laughs> um, no, but you notice it because it you you see both that it is a group of people that has a coherence, right, and then moves somewhat together, yeah. and you also start to see because you have to start reaching out that there's these other groups that exist that have really viable or other individuals that have really viable options mm-hmm. yeah. you know and they're really interesting and outside so, of the monoculture outside of the monoculture and also i think part of what you guys had talked about was like the the that excellence is a universal thing yeah that has particular chef. applications yeah. and i think that's a really you know like i i do a lot of running and so i equate a lot of you know the way I think about painting is to how I run, right? Or there, there are a lot of these crossover things. If you're trying to achieve something, right, there's kind of a universal quality yeah, yeah. to trying to do anything well. The process. Yeah, the process. Yeah. The, only, then, the only thing I, w- I would say is when you have these multiple ways of, let's say, doing the same thing or thinking about some, something, and I love that freedom, but for some people, and I say this, even if you strip it down to teaching, if I sometimes have to hold back in te- telling people too many options because it confuses them because then they're like, I don't, they become indecisive. And sometimes to focus in on this one thing at least gives them a foundation where hopefully they can eventually find either in this example be able to handle more options as far as let's say technically but even on a social level level or even doing something um like finding a different type of thinking about art is that then they're able to open up but sometimes if it's too much they're like it's too much information i can't process it all yeah that make sense it, it totally makes sense but i would say that and i've noticed this with parenting right the relationship is and I use it with a small p, a power relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Those people respect. So when when you're saying them, when you're saying something, and they look at your paintings, right? Either of yours, and they're like, oh, those paintings are fucking awesome, right? Mm-hmm. So what somebody says, who says it from that position, it, it doesn't come across as a piece of information that can be equally balanced against another piece of information. And they're a viable creative individual at that point who can decide between A and B. Right. Mm -hmm. Both viable. Both absolutely viable and they're making, but instead, the way I think a lot of this is kind of posed is that you had this kind of chasm in culture, right? Yeah. And this is the recuperation of that chasm. And it, it, even though historically it was never, and I don't think a lot of people mean it to be this way. It comes across as one choice. Right. And then the specifics that come out from that come across as being the option. 
right mm-hmm. so and, like historically what do you like you think it's kind of like a slight maybe misinterpretation or i, I or? totally think it's a misinterpretation <laughs> yeah and part of the reason i think that is because and i remember in the early days of water street right i was coming off of having worked at christie's right. in 19th century paintings for yeah. five years and so i worked with the lower price paintings right they had christie's east which is on 67th street and we did like between four thousand and fifteen thousand dollar paintings. So these are like schlocky nineteenth century. Well, schlocky. Some of them were like, like amazing. Yeah, but they would have been like third rate people still making a career. Yeah, yeah. They would have been me, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like I have enough to to pay my bills, right? right and I've right. been doing it for a long time. Yeah. But nobody's coming to the. And, and I'm, you know, I mean, I laugh about it because I would be crying otherwise. But <laughs> I think we're all in it, yeah. Right, but but I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not the headliner and everything. But I'm doing what I want, and I'm right. doing. And the 19th century was filled with that, right? Just like comedians or like anything else, all these people making their way, right? Um, you're not Eddie Murphy, but like you're, like yeah. there are plenty of people who are coming to your, you know, your yeah, sets. And I'm, and, I'm yeah. you know, I'm selling real paintings for real money for, yeah, over yeah. a real time period, and I'm really happy, right? Yeah, and so. And I wouldn't do anything else. But if we wrote the history of comedy based on Eddie Murphy and Dave Chappelle, right? We know that that's not the history of comedy. Yeah. And so, having come to the 19th century, and then having just listening, and I think it's true universally across modernism as well, or whatever, um, to tell the story and having been immersed in this other 19th century that you don't see in the museums, that you don't, and then to have incredibly well-intentioned people who love this general idea start to tell a narrative that is not the narrative of the 19th century. So what do you think the narrative is that they're telling, and then what do you think the narrative is, the actual, the true narrative of the 19th century? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm by no means an expert, right? Right. So I I couldn't, I mean, and it's also, the 19th century for me is is became an interest because I was selling it. It's not my love. Right. You know, it was what where there was a job love? opening. My love is... I mean, I know with do music, we really, do you, we skew, really want to talk you about skew this? pretty modern. <laughs> <laughs> so I love the... I love, like, medieval painting uh-huh. and medieval aesthetics. Right. And the way that modernism has borrowed the ideas from medieval aesthetics and uh-huh. medieval paintings to to kind of undo the classicism of the intervening, the interpretations of classicism in the intervening time. Right. Which is directly traceable, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think there there were all kinds of competing things, and sometimes one idea won out, right? Mm-hmm. But at the time, 500 years ago or 200 years ago, there were viable competing ideas. Mm-hmm. And then the winning idea became somewhat imperial. Right. Right. It didn't mean that there weren't an incredible number of intelligent people battling on the other side. Right. Right. And so the question is in telling that story, part of it is to understand that that dynamic was complex in its time. There was not monoculture. Right. And that even though the thing lost out because of whatever it would be, maybe maybe neoclassicism wins because Napoleon needs neoclassicism to tell his story, right? right? But at the time, there could have been another option that maybe is a viable option to think about now, right? Uh-huh. And, and it doesn't mean that you 
uh, getting rid of the 19th century. No, you could actually be going back to another facet of the right, 19th romanticism century. as opposed right. Yeah. So to me, the realism of like the pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood mm-hmm. is infinitely different than the realism of you know somebody like Corot who's painting plein air right. or Barbizon, which yeah. is infinitely different than the non-realism of like the French Academy right. and like Jacques Louis David, which I love. Right. Right. But there, it's like. It's like talking French and Spanish and Romanian, right? But now, to us, it's all the same. It just all sounds foreign. It's, it's, it's all <laughs> sounds speaking English. It all sounds foreign, but we still want to put an interpretation and make it something that we think we understand, mm-hmm. and which is fine, except for the fact that nobody's having the real discussion around, like, like the discussions here, not here, here. Not right. in face, but just in general. Yeah. We're talking about brushes, right? And we're talking about, and it's super important. I am not saying that there should be any, like, any, like, abdication of technique or materiality or whatever. I'm all for that. But what I'm saying is also it should be art history, should be yeah. aesthetics, it should be but cultural I mean, history. I, I you know feel, what I'm saying? Yeah. But I, I also feel like um, art history as it's often presented uh just because you can't cover every uh, like you can't relive 500 years of like artistic development in a semester and so it does get boiled down to monocultures that were just the prevailing cult like um aesthetics of a, a given age and they'll take you from medieval to present and, you know, I think increasingly as it gets closer to our time, you start to see the branches a little bit more clearly. Maybe in modernism, it's just a little bit more obvious, um, which it, it always feels like it is to me, like pop art to like minimalism to like, it just feels like it's pretty easy to like versus like romanticism to neoclassicism, which might be obvious to you, but to like a first year undergrad taking their first art history class might be like, I don't see the difference at all. It's the same. Right. So obvious to me, I'm literally from Akron, Ohio. I grew up on Hot Pockets and Gilligan's Island, right? (laughs) So everybody grew up on Hot Pockets, (laughs) at least of our age. (laughs) So anything that is obvious to me, right, is only obvious because, you know, I decided to make it obvious. Right. Right. So part of my work, like before I go to the studio every day, I sit and read for an hour. Yeah. Right, and it's just now that's part of my, and I'm not saying everybody has to do that. I well, know we people, watch Gilligan's Island for an hour, yeah, <laughs> and I, I do I do that at night after after Sally goes to bed. <laughs> but but you know what I'm saying is like yeah. So the choice becomes if I'm going to hitch my horse to that wagon. Right. There's also the responsibility of yeah, of course it's a monoculture until one decides to actually investigate. Right. Right, and then have the discussion, have the debate, and. And I started to realize, I mean, if you imagine Christie's 19th century, right, it's actually the end of the, uh, the beginning of the 19th century through realism in continental Europe into the 40s, right? right? And so that's, what, 25 countries. It's 150 years. It's, and you see that it's not a monoculture, right? Right, yeah, yeah. You really are, because you're dealing with, you're dealing with, you know, we would have three sales a year. You'd have 350 paintings per sale hung four or five high. Yeah. And salon that's, style. Salon style. And you, that's from the selection of the other 
a thousand you didn't choose. So you're literally seeing 3,000, 4,000 paintings a year that will never ever go into the museum. Yeah. Never. Most of the artists you, I mean, I, I, there's a, there's a book called Benazi, right? And it's a catalog of like 10, 10 volumes. Mm -hmm. And it's like a reference of just, it has artists and whenever it was published, like prominent sales and prices from the time they were so just like a sales record of every it's more artist. It's like a, a catalog, it. and it has some, just to give you, like, known paintings. Mm -hmm. At some point, it was, like, coming from that catalog tradition, right, mm -hmm. where you're just trying to. And so it, it has artists from all eras, but it really specializes in the 19th century, if I'm a, you know, so it's one of the main references. You'd see some painting with some signature, and you never heard of the guy, and there's reference in Benazine. This is before mm -hmm. the Internet. You'd look well, it up in yeah. the reference book. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it was, it, and so that was the realization to me, is I was like, I don't need to be Bouguereau to right. be somebody who lived because there's 10 volumes of yeah, inconsequential people. people who were making some kind of living or were well, making significant numbers of paintings enough to enter into this encyclopedia. Right. That gave me the courage to paint. I didn't because art history makes you think that you need to be Bouguereau, yeah. right? That you need to be or Caravaggio, Caravaggio, or, not, or, yeah. or you know, and th that somehow that's the only option. Mm -hmm. And they also present it like Caravaggio was this like genius who came, or any great artist was this genius who came out of nowhere and exploded with ideas that were new and had net. But like, if you really trace back the art history, I mean, it's it's fascinating, and I, I, I've talked about this on the podcast. But one of the most uh, I don't know, transformative lectures I've ever attended was uh, Charles Cecil, who has a school in Florence, gave these art history lectures. And uh, he would trace through, I mean, he I, I don't know how he did his research, but he would tell you like, okay, Rubens went here. He was in this town. There were prints of this that were circulating there then. So-and-so finished a painting, which was sent to the Duke, who was, you know, one town over, which he would have visited. So he would have seen this. And he puts together this, like, matrix of influences that explains every painting. And it almost feels like that painting, like, couldn't have been anything but. But it's this, like, revolutionary painting. And, you know, Caravaggio in his time, he wasn't the only person painting like that in that kind of dark, baroque, shadowy style. Right. He's just the one we all know. And, you know, I, he wasn't the first. Yeah. I mean, they do the, the Vitruvian Man, right? You know, Leonardo's. Yeah. There's a whole history of people all at the same time because... You know, or Darwin. I mean, the same thing, right? Yeah. It's all the same. And so the, the question is, and here's why I think it's important, right? If you have an idea of a history, right, and then you apply that idea to what you think should be taken away from that history, you start creating a type of art that you think is in line with the history that is not in line with the ideas right. of the history, right? So you start to take segments. So in, that doesn't mean it's bad, but it's not that history. Is that like a little bit of knowledge kind of thing? Um, yeah, I, I just I just think it's that it it's just the inclination we're drawn to we, it, it it's the common sense argument right mm -hmm. like i'm reading a book of philosophy right now where the guy is unwinding common sense and we tend to think right that the idea is that common sense has this fundamental character until you start taking it apart mm -hmm. and actually investigating the problem the problematic nature of the common sense right and so if, if well, what would be an example of the 
of that, of the, well, na- the so problematic the idea of, nature of common sense? Well, common sense is just, so let, let's say an atelier, right? I, mm-hmm. remember, I remember sitting in the, the lunchroom talking about Bouguereau. Right. And having come from the 19th century. Yeah. Uh, at, at Christie's. And, you know, we're selling, like, brutal Bougaros, right? Like, things that I thought were brutal. <laughs> right. Like, they're not all gems. There are some no. gems. They're not all gems. Which is totally fine, right? Yeah. Like, the idea that you, you that somebody has to always execute the ideal painting, right? That well, is Messi all- doesn't, every game isn't perfect, yeah. right? <laughs> like, yeah. But all you have to and do s- in that type of situation is if you see a bunch of them in one room... You start seeing the flaws, which is weird. I just saw that with Bouguereau recently, where I love Bouguereau, but I saw a bunch of his, not the the A-list ones, but good ones. And when you see a lot of them in one room, I started seeing like, ah, you kind of, that part's a little messed up or that part's messed up. But when you see it individually, um, sometimes, and you don't have a reference point, you can just see it as like great. Right. So the common sense thing, what I'm talking about, just imagine, I'm just using Bugo because everybody knows, right? So imagine that you have this one great painting, right? Mm -hmm. And you synthesize Bouguereau from, or one group of great paintings, which is a small group of his body of work. Right. And you synthesize down from that like you're making a stock right it's bubbling on the stove right, right? you're and distilling it's, it it's getting concentrated and yeah. concentrated then everybody is sitting at the table they don't know the other things right they don't know the work that's not that great and they also don't know the context that generated it all they're doing is that on the table of and we we all did it i've done it right we're at the lunchroom talking about what we like about bouguereau and it's all on the surface of the canvas. And, and, and it, well, and it's potentially on the surface. Right. So what I'm saying is that you would have to investigate with a little bit of study to see if, in fact, it's on the surface. Right. Or if there's other layers or if there's other dimensions. And if you move forward in the line of Bouguereau, mm-hmm. are, is what you're doing and taking as being that stock, right, mm-hmm. that really concentrated, is that really on the line? Or is it actually a kind of a, a modern contemporary interpretation well it can't possibly be anything but that if we're interpreting it right right? so that's what i'm saying so but the question is can you can you work on with with imperfections Mm because there's no perfect knowledge right Right. i'm not saying there's perfect knowledge but to claim that it's in this lineage right without actually doing the work to understand the lineage right um and then then you start to get into the complexity of the lineage, and you really start to understand the choices that are being made, and some of them problematic or not in his time. Right. Well, do you feel like there are any, like, huge kind of misunderstandings, just from your perspective, or are there, like, maybe things that you wish people would, you hope people would know about, let's say, that lineage that you feel like maybe they don't know? Well, I... I I happen to be like I don't want to say virulently because it's but it's my in proclivity I'm totally against classicism. Uh-huh. Right? Classicism I, meaning like cl- class- this kind of a stylization that conforms to a prescribed formula, right? Right? That comes from an intellectual a certain type of intellectual understanding that ends up in a visual stylization. Uh-huh. But is that right? a, as is opposed it, to Is it a formula? I mean, is it I mean, when you look at that, is it is it? Can you look at classicism as a formula? Yeah, I think you can. Good. Yeah. I so do you, you feel like it's a misguided formula to some extent, or 
Well, I, th- I think it is a limiting formula, mm-hmm. right? And part of what I like about, I think, the realism we're actually doing, which I don't think in most cases is classical, right? Mm-hmm. It's perceptual, right? Yeah. is that the thing that keeps rewriting the limit of the formula uh-huh. is the engagement of the individual constantly with something that is not them. Right. I always think about you know that what I'm saying? as yeah. like a very kind of modern or contemporary idea that like each painting is an individual because I think of, and maybe this is the misinterpretation that you're talking about, that there were other facets or, or other branches that, you know, that were, at the, but like... I, Van Dyck, for instance, who I, I think is amazing. Like I, I, some of his paintings, I think if he's judged by his best paintings, he's one of the greatest painters that, you know, in the like Cornelis van der Geest, that portrait is just mind-bogglingly like moving. But um, his flesh tones, it seems to me, was probably pretty formulaic. He had an assistant mixing up paint. I think that he just had prescribed flesh tones that he used. Seems like his approach was somewhat formulaic. Like formulaic in that he wasn't looking at each person always as an individual but rather like he had an approach and right so i I do think there's a difference between formula and classicism right right? i think you can arrive at a formula like when you're painting a string right yeah that that's a formula yeah yeah that's a formula that you may have arrived at from based on using somebody's assisted knowledge right you didn't develop it from a to z because nobody develops anything from a to z right (laughs) but But a lot of trial and i think a lot of trial and error becomes more. it's filtered through you you know and you've done the work to figure out and then how you're going to apply it that to me is not classicism that's that's a kind of a almost like an intellectual um what do they call it when you have um uh what they call on the internet like the formula where you plug something in and you get the answer out like uh, the words, word algorithm, an algorithm, algorithm yeah. right? So you developed yeah. an algorithm of materials that's filtered through the way you work. That makes him but, sound much smarter than he is. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, but, right? But, but that's so that's a modern information theory type but thing. Yeah, yeah. That's not that, going to be. Uh, that's, that's different than classicism, which yeah. has an idea of the way you are approaching reality and what you're looking through. So. You know, like I think that the the difference is that you. Well, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, well, based on that idea that w- what you just said, I, I do think that that can apply to almost anything at any time, in almost human history, in the sense that it like the algorithm of how to get let's something done filtered through the individual isn't. I don't think that's a classical idea. I think I think that's just that's right. That's not a classical evolution. idea. Right. You know, you just figure out, like, this has to get done in a certain way, and I need to problem solve it. Right. So a lot of painting is problem solving to this day and in the 19th and 17th century. So I don't know if, if classicism can own problem solving. No, no, no. That's, yeah. I, that's, no I'm, that's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm saying it's not classicism. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. Yes. What I'm saying is classicism is a, a particular mentality like a prescribed notion of reality right with proportion and harmony and beauty and order mm-hmm. right and that it's somehow governed by this but is that classicism or is that just i mean I well this know. organizing universal principle I, yeah i think that's the heart of classicism do you actually think people are doing that in that 
in in true classes like neoclassicism do you no think i don't people that's why i don't like now? the term and that's why i don't I understand why say, the term is I would, associated i would with say it's it, a right? hard yeah. term to because you're also you know you're not painting people in togas so you're not really you know or is it yeah. just an idea of, I, mean, I mean comic books would be more classicism than if you were going to go with that idea in a way that it's more formulaic it's more well, but, no, I'm not ideal saying, and everything yeah i'm not saying that i'm not saying that the um that the idea of a formula right because you can develop a formula on anything on anything yeah, yeah. and the formula can be like you know if you come up with a philosophy right you're yeah. starting to develop a formula, formula right but what i'm saying is that somehow what i think what i understand like the kind of realism we're doing mm-hmm. is that the formula can always be rewritten mm-hmm. by the direct engagement of nature, which is constantly in flux. Right. And so the, the prescription of the even technical stuff should not be so rigid that the individual artist who's applying the technical things can't adjust it mm-hmm. because he or she has a concept that he or she p- imposes on that infinitely dynamic mm-hmm object that they're in relationship to whether it be you know landscape or still life or whatever right right and so that's where i come and so the i so what i would say is that the passage of styles right oftentimes in the past even was not this uniform thing that in those eras like you're saying right caravaggio those were if it was great those were dynamic people working through exactly like what we're working through mm-hmm. yeah. trying to create some kind of what now is a style yeah because they were making a formula because you at some point you have to turn it into something right so yeah. caravaggio you have a caravaggio painting because he kind of created a formula which was the result of his encounter with the subject matter with reality, whatever it was, the, the, right. the tenets of faith or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, whatever somebody's encountering, mm-hmm. that's different than having a prescription that one is imposing on, and then, you know, that's that's. I mean, it, there's no there's no mistaking the fact that you know you have neoclassicism at the same time you have imperialism, mm-hmm. right? It's an imposition. Right, it's an imposition. It's, a, it's it's an intellectual imposition on something that doesn't want to be imposed upon. <laughs> right? I mean, reality doesn't want to be imposed upon. It's constantly moving. Right. right. And so you find that it's like uh, when you look around at some painters, you find that they're it it feels to you like they're limiting themselves through. Well, so historically, no, because when I, I'm but, I trying— I mean, presently. Well, presently, not that they're doing it in painting. Right. They're doing it in the dialogue around, right? And I think if we change the dialogue, uh-huh. and we talked about the history, and we talked about the philosophy, and we also talked about the individual practice of every person, like you were doing, mm-hmm. right? That kind of thing, that you would, you would start to fight against the idea that there's a monoculture, mm-hmm. and that realism has to look a certain way— Right. And that that way that it looks is, you know, the colonial Williamsburg version of a neoclassicism, right? <laughs> right? That we're playing at recuperating history. Right. I am not trying to recuperate history when I paint. Uh-huh. But I consider myself total realist. I love technique. I love history, you know? Yeah. As a matter of fact, if I was doing a workshop, and I've not done a lot of workshops, so I've only done one workshop, but I would have part of it be that, you know, you're in fucking France, right? 
go to the museums and part of one of the palettes on your one of the colors on your palette mm-hmm. is that your painting has to somehow relate as a student to the work that's going on there right that you're in the museum in the museum so that you, that's part of it right you're engaging it that you are having to come to terms with it that you have to actually do some work and understand not just what it is visually, not just the brushstroke, mm-hmm. but what the paint, what the painting is, to the best of your ability, right? Because so you can trying never to understand the context around it and absolutely, what it, like what purpose that painting may have served. And I, as a teacher, part of the what I wanted to do, and and is that if that student did that work right ahead of time, mm-hmm. I would also do the same research on their painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that when they brought that up, that I would be able to challenge in a good way, add to, bring my right. knowledge, not just of, here's how you draw, yeah, here's right, how you, but yeah. also saying, well. Here's how this was a tool of imperialism. <laughs> <laughs> or, or here's how a tool, you know, this was a tool of actual kind of liberated realism. Right. Right? I mean, you have like some, like Albrecht Dürer or somebody like that, where you have these revolutionary moments. Mm-hmm like fundamentally revolutionary moments. And, you know, now you look at it as like some old stuffy painting to to see it for what it it was and try to re- recreate and then be able to take something from that that has resonance now. Mm-hmm. Not because you just like it like you like wallpaper. Right. Yeah. Right? But a lot of that would mean that you would have to really... If you're looking, at, let's say, at an individual painting, you would really... He's sweating. Have- he doesn't want to do the work, I can tell. He's like, oh, shit, that means I have to do. I have to read a book. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. Not read a book, but it was really... Now, are you, you advocating audiobooks or actually... <laughs> but you would really... Like, that idea of seeing all these great paintings, and there's a lot of them, that you would have to then go hand in hand... And know so much about the time, which well, I think is a great don't, thing. Is it, don't, is it any I think more it's a great thing? But it's like—is it any it's, more it's than a lot you? Of work is it any more than you know about color? What I'm saying is, no. it's as vital to yes. making a painting. I know as what you're color. saying, and I and right? I agree. but also you and spend, I like it. But I'm saying th- there's a lot to go with appreciating a painting. Then is you that spend, you'll have to know a lot of history, <laughs> like to put yourself in their shoes. At the time, as much as that's to possible. time travel, not to be like I'm to really understand what 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 was it, what the air was like. But you, you look, know? Well, but you look at a like I I copied uh, Juan de Preja at the uh, Metropolitan, and before I went there, and even you did your put, research. I remember I, I read uh, two books just analyzing, and and fortunately Velasquez, there's a lot of material. But so I read a couple books just on pigment analysis. So I I was using, to the best of my ability, the same materials he was using, same colors, uh, you know, lead-primed linen, like, you know, just trying to, to make it as, as authentic from a starting point in materials. But then I was also interested in, like, who's Juan de Perea? And, like, what does this painting represent? Who is this person in his life? Like, and... For me, and I don't think this is true for everybody, but for me, and and obviously I know for you, Tony, uh, it's it enhances your appreciation of of a work to really understand like what it meant in historical context, what it meant to the artist, what who who the subject is, or why the the artist chose that subject. I mean that all, and if we're gonna devote our lives to you know 
basically like trying to follow in certain footsteps it doesn't yeah sure you should i mean i think it 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 certainly is a good idea to know as much about those footsteps yeah. as I think we can, do. I think we do do that, um, I think, by just default. It's like of, a default setting that we do, at least my, I know my, our colleagues generally, I think we kind of do a lot of that. I agree with you, by the way. But you know, It's just that there's so much to look at. Is there certain paintings that I'd be like, I really want to appreciate that, but I don't have the time right now because <laughs> no, I need to know the, more about but it. But the limit of choice is your inclination. Nobody's asking you to yeah. know stuff that's not your inclination, yeah. right? And the teacher's choice in that case, if I was a teacher, would be I would accept your inclination because I'm trying to educate. I'm trying to educate your inclination. I'm not trying to educate you to be more towards either my inclination mm -hmm. which or is more like indoctrination, his, yeah. or yeah, yeah, or some historical inclination, which was not even really the inclination of the history. Well, and also, I mean, we're constantly kind of reorganizing history and looking back with a different lens. And I mean, particularly now, like You're it's, changing it's history, <laughs> like, well, yeah, yeah. That's I mean, a lot I, of but that. I think just the idea that there's a linear narrative through, uh, narrative through history has become like incredibly contentious, I think. Yeah. And so the question is, you know, you do your best and you move forward and, right. and you know, it's just, it's just, it's, it's with no greater, clarity than when you're looking at an object in an environment right it's in an atmosphere and you never have like you were talking about it vibrates right yeah that's the nature of there are no clear lines there are no clear so it's the same with the knowledge about culture or whatever at some point you just jump off and you do your best and when yeah. you find out that you were wrong you say you're wrong and you renovate it right and you redo it and you just keep doing that well and that's and, part yeah. of like the you know that's part of the history of your work. Like your narrative is your misinterpretation right. of something, yeah. which is, you know, maybe just as valid as like an accurate interpretation. Yeah. So, so as far as like modern, being a modern painter now, because um, we were talking about the past, uh, how, what advice would you give to somebody now to start saying, well, now let's look towards the future? <laughs> As far as don't start, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to start. But that idea that how do you start? No, I mean just don't start painting. Apply to law school. Computer go science. Into the, go into the trades. You'll make a good living. I'm telling you. A plumber. Yeah, make a lot of money. But the idea of when you're looking at the past and we're looking, you know, that concept. But now, how do I apply that to the future? And how am I looking at me, you know, or my colleague, and how am I, you know, putting all this emphasis on moving forward and not looking at the past at times? Well, I, I guess well, you I, always have to look I, at the past. Always looking at the past. Yeah. Absolutely. And what I think is a really interesting thing as it relates to a modern painter, right, is like what we were talking about with the podcast. Mm -hmm. If we could have a group of people who have an honest discussion, right, where you have studios next to each other or you have, you know, internet WhatsApp calling or whatever it is, mm -hmm. and somebody's doing a painting, right, and you have a trust and that person says, holy shit, that really reminds me of this, you know, Gerard David painting from 1450. Did you see that? And then the person goes and looks and then that becomes an element that enters into their painting, right? Or... You see a painting as a, you know, there's something problematic about, but this area of trust among people who, which I think is what everybody talks about, right? And does exist to a certain degree. Right. Where that conversation can be 
broad, not only about the technical things like, oh, you know, how do I do this? What solvent do I use? All important. But also the idea that, you know, did you know that that thing you had or, you know, that's, you know. We never talk about, like, what solvent you're using when we're talking, like, if you came over for dinner and then you came up to the studio and looked at what I was working at and I asked you what you, you like and you gave me feedback, it wouldn't be about, right. like, but you would give me, you know, it would be, like, stuff that I'm just not seeing, your perspective, which is incredibly helpful. That that kind of community, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of community that also has that historical, right? So I, I'm a believer that I possibly can't have enough knowledge, mm-hmm. that it's not helpful that, so I believe in accentuating each individual in their individual so you may like Caravaggio I may not like Caravaggio yeah. right you may like I don't know Bouguereau and I may not like Bouguereau but you're bringing it to me in your conversation mm-hmm. so that in the unity of that whole thing I'm trying to do my thing right right but I then have access to these other things because each person is activated in that uniqueness yeah but there's a common trust that in some weird way we're going for the same goal right yeah which we can call realism we can call you know painting that appreciates history but is trying to be contemporary whatever or representational you, representational painting, yeah. objective paint whatever the name is or, or whatever perceptual painting it is. but we all are trying to achieve something that relates to something that is not only inside our head mm-hmm. Right, we honor perception. We have a respect for craft, and we find value in history. Yeah, and that forms like a. a but I think all of those things are really important, and mm-hmm. that if each person has their little niche, like all those paints and colors, I don't know anything about. Like, <laughs> I really don't. I don't even think I couldn't name. Just like if I was driving around, you know how you know how to get to a place, but you don't know the names of the streets. Yeah, I yeah. don't even know the names of the colors on my palette. Yeah. <laughs> I just used them and I just know how they work. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And but I'm not saying, oh Tony, this is such a waste of time, man. Who cares yeah. about that? No, that's your thing, right? It's yeah. great. So if you now I by being in a relationship, you're the third lobe of my brain. Mm-hmm. I have access to that. And then mm-hmm. the fourth lobe. And then you get this community. My worry, like the the idea is that it's um, the tendency for it to become a monoculture. That Where is imitative in- of history as being the thing to be copied. Well, but maybe it's more imitative of one person's interpretation of yeah. history, which is, I think, the danger, right? right. That's what you're talking about, is that, like, yes. if one person has an outsized influence on the third lobe of everybody else's brains, those people aren't expressing their own individual preferences for aesthetics and instead are just glomming on to this one strong aesthetic. Yeah. So, so are and you, you can like, see it you... from a distance. You can see it. I mean, I became my, right. the painter I became because right. I moved 500 miles away. Yeah. You know? Although, I, I mean, I would argue, and this is, that's a, this is a, maybe a, like from a distance kind of a perspective issue, but like, I, seeing you do a cast drawing and, and, you know, to be honest, like, Almost all cast drawings look the same. You know, it depends if they're done in charcoal or, you know, it depends if they're done in, you know, one school that focuses on one thing versus another school that focuses on another thing. But, like, they're basically all the same. From a distance, they're the same. Right. But, you know, once you know a little bit about cast drawing, which is what connoisseurship is, right, looking at your cast drawing, like, which was, like, this... 
I don't you you came to Water Street and you did this cast drawing and you immersed you, yourself and it was a different thing. It was yeah. a, a thing that yeah. nobody at Water Street had ever tried to do. You kind of changed cast drawing at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I really kind of remember that. Yeah. You went but, about it in a in a different way than I was, and then a lot of other people. And I think your way kind of stuck. Yeah. But I, I always thought of it as making a be- like I was trying to make a beautiful thing. Yeah. Right. Out and, of this and exercise. So, well, out of the ex- all, and it never had oh, okay. the idea of correctness, right? Is was not the standard. Right. The standard was to make this thing that made me kind of vibrate, right? Like be- what, whatever that meant. Yeah. Right. You know? But I mean it had some roots in correctness. Well, so so right. I I think the correctness is the th- so the way I look at it is actually like if you have a chicken and egg thing uh-huh. is that I was going to Water Street and right. I realized this later because part of what I needed to get to the beauty mm-hmm. was some of Water Street's understanding of correctness. Mm-hmm. Right? So the the idea of beauty did not come from the correctness. Uh-huh. I needed some of that whatever they were offering you needed right. the tools it, it, it was a tool it was a that tool allowed for me because mm-hmm. i've always been inclined to i needed that technique to get to where i needed to be right I, I don't think i understood it at that time that way right you know so at the time i may have been pursuing it as a correctness but i think in fact what i was pursuing or an accuracy right i wasn't pursuing that the correctness allowed me to get to the beautiful thing. Right. So when the expression. We, right. To me, it's always been an expression of the selfish person that I am. You know? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I mean, it's like, that's, I've always been after me. Right. But to understand you know? those tools, if somebody was like, well, you need to immerse yourself in the tool and go down that rabbit hole and it means this it well, means like you have to forego a lot of things that is very much selfish to you are can can you do that not you from a distance can one do that to learn the tool to use the tool efficiently later on when they have complete can one do that yes do most people succeed in doing that i think not well then I, i'm gonna <laughs> because go i think ahead. the tool becomes the oppressive work. yes and, and the tool becomes smaller and smaller. So imagine the concept of what 19th century painting is mm-hmm. or Renaissance painting, right? And imagine that, you know, you have a certain educational system that sets up teaching parts of it, mm-hmm. right? And imagine that, you know, you never get to the whole, right? So you're only doing parts because of time limitations, because of money, because right. of whatever. Eventually, because the whole is never achieved the people become better and better at the parts and the parts begin to seem like the whole uh-huh. right so the unfinished drawing right like you never finished a drawing right like it was just a room full of unfinished drawings so the idea of like what do you do with the figure which would have been a very normal thing in the past right right never ever gets addressed so then imagine that person becomes a teacher. Right. And they're the expert at amazing, and they're amazing. Fragments. Amazing unfinished drawings. So that person that they're teaching, who is in total awe of this amazing drawing, mm-hmm. is pursuing as what the historical thing was, which it's been cast as, 
is this amazing unfinished drawing. Yeah. And then they teach because but do you think who's then, selling paintings? Nobody's selling paintings anymore, really, right? They're just like a thousand ateliers now. Yeah. And it's all people like slowly. Do you think then that the it, it's just eroding over like generations or because I mean I tend to think like maybe like parenting that you know your parents you know might have been great but like had some blind spots that drove you crazy and then as a parent you're like those blind spots that's not going to be me I'm going to be the opposite and you swing way far the other way and you're focusing on those blind spots and you create new blind spots and, and yes, it just but, swings back and forth to extremes but what's the mechanism of the child the child in that case is is liberating him or herself through transgression right mm -hmm. what is modernism exactly that it mm -hmm. is a transgressive move against the blind spots of the parent right right and so that's why i'm not against modernism and i also don't think modernism is against what we're doing but then right? so then you're not against the fragments as kind of a you know a transgression against the whole you know so in in in, in you're right yeah. Uh, it, it could be something. What I'm against is the idea that that is what was historically going on. Right. The misrepresentation of it as being what the history was. Mm -hmm. So you're right. I think those fragments, what most people are doing is is a total postmodernism. Right. It's know? a beautiful postmodernism, yeah. but it doesn't so, actually... But it runs a danger, right? And the danger is that it becomes Colonial Williamsburg, Right. <laughs> So if it's too not, backward looking, but not accurately. Well, it doesn't have its own because it's so tied to history, right? Mm -hmm. In the way it conceives of itself, that it's also not doing the work. It's doing the technical work, but it's not doing the other work that brings the technical work to be something invigorated, and it copies all these other things. Is that just meaning? No, I don't. I don't know exactly. I think meaning is the way we describe it. Right. I, I don't know if meaning tends to be this thing that you can then translate, right? Like codify. Right. I, I don't know if it's that because I think it's more than that. Most, you know, I know a lot of people. They don't codify things like I do, <laughs> verbally, or they feel yeah. things at whatever it is. Right. You know, but it's from a distance when you see super talented people, yeah, time and time again doing the same painting. Right, I remember. Remember in Nilda's when she did the all those framers, framers work with, yeah. yeah. Okay, in and, she, and City. everybody took a bunch of paintings, yeah. and she couldn't match the frames to the paintings. Right, she didn't know whose paintings were mm -hmm. because they were all the same. And I think there's a place for that in a, in a study, right? Right, and that's that broader perspective. Like from for an outsider, all these right. still lives look the same. Right. Because they all look, they're all apples. And yeah, and I think that's realistic. a legitimate, that's a legitimate perspective because, you know, the overwhelming majority of people don't give a shit, right? right. They're outsiders, right? And so... But I mean, we're not painting for those people. Well, I, I, I kind of am. You are? Painting. Yeah. Just not, not that I'm painting for them, but part of I see what I do, mm -hmm. right? I'm not, it doesn't mean that I'm making a compromise mm -hmm. in what I do. I'm not saying I wonder what I'm going to make Ted or Tony happy with today. But I do think I'm going to communicate myself. Mm -hmm. Anybody who knows me and is on my email list <laughs> <laughs> knows just that I like aside, to communicate. <laughs> Tony sends long 
emails with lots of philosophical and li- literary references, mostly about James Joyce, but now you're moving to... Yeah. Now it's like French 1950 like philosophy. I remember yeah, the, the Peter bubble. Peter that, that was actually but really are, great. Like, the bubbles th- and I mean, trees. Yeah. Oh, the trees, yeah. But, but someday they will be published. Yeah, that's what, oh my gosh. So everybody knows that I like to communicate, right? So right. for me, part of the joy of it is yeah. the communication of it and right. the fact that it goes on the wall. Right. And I, I am a big believer that, that value, there is an element of value in reception. Right. Value is not some like autonomous maker who makes something, imparts to it some value, and then the masses are supposed to encounter it. Right. And understanding the painting is getting what the painter intended. I think there's there's part of that, right? Mm-hmm. But part of it is also that everybody is coming to the painting with what they have. And misinterpreting it in their own way. Well, well which yeah, is we not say misinterpret. Right. Well, right, but it's well, not, yeah. Yeah, so the, it's also their job to do with that painting what I'm asking myself and everybody else to do with the historical paintings, right? right? And so that's why I think painting and interpretation of painting is much more than simply putting a painting on the wall. I think one of the biggest things like of representational art, the problem is that we experience the value of making it, right? And we put it on the wall and we think that there's so much value. How can everybody not see how fucking valuable the painting is, right? Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful. How can they not see it? And how can they not want it? And why isn't the art world filled with it, right? And part of it is because... I almost think the opposite. (laughs) Because also you're in front of... I mean, like, if I'm out on the beach painting waves, like, I'm having the time of my life. I love it. I enjoy it. And I come home often, like happy satisfied at the end of the day but also knowing like i better off standing out on the beach like i did than looking at my painting of it like i hope that i captured something or maybe showed somebody some different perspective or different way of looking at it but like ultimately what's out there is much more compelling than anything well, i could just write. i don't i don't doubt you but i doubt you on that too because i know that what you just said is 100 me knowing you is 100% real but at the same time we've also had conversations where when we see the value of the the effort to put into making these things or our peers doing something that we think is great and it's up on the wall like why doesn't everybody look at that like and appreciate it the way I appreciate it like when I see one of your paintings Ted but I can't appreciate it yeah that but way. the point is is when I see one of your paintings as your peer and as somebody who is going through a similar thing as you I'm like why isn't everybody looking do you know how hard that is or do you know the effort that went into doing that so you're looking at the waves saying this this and that and I know that you're doing that and I'm also appreciating that in nature but at the same time when I'm in front of the painting in a room I'm not in front of the waves the outside in nature and I'm like why isn't everybody looking at I that I think that and the about same- other people's paintings I, I think it's not possible to think that about my own well, just I, because I, yeah, okay, fair is, enough. Because that's well, yeah, like that's, like that's your a, own. I think that's a different the fraud thing, thing yeah. that we always talk about, right? But I do think you know there is a, valu- uh, a the, the 
the importance of being in front of of uh, uh, that feeling of like what you're saying is like why doesn't everybody recognize this and i don't know if that's just like some sort of like you know weird selfish thing and everybody feels a little bit icky about the self-marketing which is the world right so imagine (laughs) imagine if we if you have five people and you're all in a circle and everybody is advocating for the other four people minus themselves right Right. So that's why I say this, like that's why that's an important component of the ability right. to advocate for and also help others receive. I mean, right. if you're a lawyer or if you're just like me growing up, right? I started into art history because I skipped school one day saying I was going to a college fair. And a friend of mine who was, you know, some like into Depeche Mode and The Cure, you know, in like 1988, (laughs) (laughs) 1987. He was like, let's go to the Cleveland Art Museum. So we went to Cleveland Art Museum and I saw a painting by uh, Turner, Burning the House of Lords and Commons, right? They have one of the copies in Cleveland. What is this, Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Yeah, that was the nerd version. (laughs) Yeah, that was real real cool. And let's go to the museum, you know? And so let's skip school and go to the museum. (laughs) You know, and so so the, the understanding of that and I'm still, you know, I just that recently, yeah, that Turner kind of, but it wasn't, there was a visceral response, mm-hmm. but that visceral response ignited a need for a certain kind of understanding that I have pursued like, for a long this? time. Where, why, why do I find that compelling? Right. It was a patch in the sky, right? And there's nothing in my past that would have made me look at that to say that is. So what? Why? Well, I, I think I've come up to it's it's um, it's because, and as I understand it, my, actually Stella bought me a, a book of essays. Your wife? Yeah, my wife, um, my very beautiful wife. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> the lovely and talented Stella. <laughs> yeah. um, so she bought me a book of essays, uh, probably three Christmases ago. Actually, for my daughter, that was Santa Claus who bought that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, so. It was a book by this French philosopher named uh, Michel Serre, uh-huh. and it had an essay in there which talked about Turner. And uh-huh. the essay was, so if you imagine Vulcan by Velázquez, right. or a 19th century Vulcan, right, like a blacksmith, mm-hmm. you're put in a certain place in relationship, which is what the picture plane does. Mm-hmm. The picture plane is a visual imperialism, right? Mm-hmm. It locates the eye in one place in right. relationship to a reality that is structured and tells you how to look at it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If so, the painter knows what they're doing. If the painter, right. That. But yeah. we're presuming, right? That, yeah. that's well, like even the if they don't, it's doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe unintentionally, but it's doing it. And so he he's going through and he's saying that you have, you are looking at, and you know, if you know Vulcan, right? It, it has the glowing ember. Ember. Yeah. The, the steel is glowing yeah. in almost every one, right? And you do all the technical things that you need to do to make the moment of that glowing steel. Right. So Sarah talks about that, and then he brings up Turner. And this is an essay written in the 60s. Mm-hmm. This is something I experienced in 1988 when I went to this see this Turner. Right. right? And then I, my first year in college, I took a class on neoclassicism to post-impressionism, which was supposed to discuss Turner, uh-huh. and never did. So I never got the question <laughs> answered. Right? So in this essay— The Turner class where we yeah. will not discuss Turner. <laughs> we never discussed Turner. But— in this essay, what he talks about was the difference between that kind of traditional picture plane kind of dominant imposition of perspective on the viewer mm-hmm. versus what Turner is. In the old paintings with that kind of traditional picture plane thing, you are looking at the burning 
steel. Mm-hmm. What Turner does, both by by the way he controls it, is he's putting you in proximity to the conflagration. Mm-hmm. You are in the conflagration to some degree, right? Oh, this You're, is where the crowd is right. kind of coming out into right. the darkness. And, and, and he puts these, you in the crowd. Right, yeah. You are in as this thing is coming towards you. And, this ember. And, yeah, fire, and so yeah. Michel Serre is talking about the difference is that at the same time, you're moving away from a classical physics mm-hmm. to thermodynamics. You have the internal combustion engine. You have Carnot. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about the things that change. You have a different kind of physics. Right. Right. And the classical thing of like Newtonian physics and uh, where you have simple, organized nature. Right. Right. Whereas then you have now complexity. It's overthrown. It's by... totally overthrown. And the things that are going on in engineering and the things that are going on with Maxwell's theories of physics and the things that are going on are also going on in the visual world. Right. And so the thing that resonated... Coincidentally or in tandem? Like, are they influenced by each other? I, th- I, I, as far I bet as you, you it's... Know? Yeah, I don't, th- I don't know if it's direct, but mm-hmm. I bet you it's one of those things that's like, like in, the, in air. the air. Why yeah. is, you know, calculus being done by Leibniz and Zeitgeist. Newton? It's something in the air, right? And, and it'd be an in- incredible topic and I don't I've never read a book on it or I, I don't have an opinion I you don't should know write a book on it uh, yeah, I wish but the next series yeah. of yeah, emails from email, they're, they're gonna be the first chapter <laughs> yeah. but but there's so many of those things. so what it, I think part of it is that Turner's perspective mm-hmm. where now you're not looking at mm-hmm. but you are in so with your own work you're in the complex you're experiencing directly the complex right Right, you are not looking at as this kind of God that's standing outside of and is watching it happen. Right, you're in it. You're in the dynamic chaos. Right. And part of what is part of classicism is it's this intellectual thing that's trying to understand. But in fact, in trying to understand, it limited because it could only understand so much. So it created structures, right, mm-hmm. number systems and golden means and whatever that made you feel like you could understand it. Mm-hmm. But in fact, we were controlling it, right? Right. Like it's like the when we, I went to Greece, right? Uh, like a couple years ago. And you look at the, the uh, on the Parthenon, there's the, uh, um, the Athena Nike temple, uh-huh. okay? And it's basically, you know, that's the Greeks saying, you know, we won and you have these Amazons and you have these giants and you have these Titans and you know what they didn't win and they're the others and we don't understand them and the fact that we don't understand them is they're the bad guys and our perspective won mm-hmm. and that's what it means to understand right is our perspective right these other things they're barbarians right right because they're Titans and Amazons and you know because they're, they're barbarians because they don't do it the way we do it mm-hmm. and we get to control that because we won and we're going to put temples up yeah well they the, become athena the gate- wins they be- Athens wins right <laughs> they become the, the gatekeepers that's that- classicism right it is an inherently imperial thing and i don't mean like armies marching yeah. i mean that what it is is it takes this incredibly dynamic amazing reality right and constantly is limiting it in an infinite number of ways mm-hmm and I think what perception does is it's the possibility of having a really astute, smart, sensitive person actually undo that. Right. Because they notice what's going And Turner did that to some degree, right? Right. Slave ships, um, range, steam, and speed, right? It's no mistake that Goethe had a train on his desk, 
right? Uh-huh. The same time, around the same time, maybe a little bit before, the Turner's painting Rain, Steam, and Speed. Cutting because, through the landscape. Yeah, I mean, you've changed the experience of reality mm-hmm. by moving fast. But so in your own work, I mean, because right now I think that, like, just the transformation from, like, analog to, like, cyber is so, like, it's just such a radical shift. And, and like, theories of, like, understanding our place in the universe, like, there are a lot of, like, simulation theories that, like, we really are just all part of the simulation that are actually pretty, vi- like, very serious people are, are thinking these well, ideas. Like multiverses and... Yeah, and yeah, stuff, but, right? like, it's it's just so infinitely complex, and we're, we're starting to get our heads around, like, this whole new layer of complexity. Like, how does that affect what you do as an artist? Well, so that's why I like trompe l'oeil, right? Because mm-hmm. trompe l'oeil is immediately both things right it's a game mm-hmm. that's creating a simulation right. but if done well enough mm-hmm. it is impossible for the mind to get out of the simulation right that's you know? fascinating that that's like a layer of your work that you're th- i mean obviously you're thinking about it yeah yeah and one of the things is that you know that it was really prominent in like the adaptation of medieval philosophy by modern philosophy mm-hmm. is that you don't encounter this form, right? This thing that is organizing matter, right? That mm-hmm. organizes, you know, like, like the soul of something or the whatever. But in the initial encounter of something, what do you encounter? Well, you just encounter that it is, mm-hmm. right? And for Trompe-Loi, for me, Trompe-Loi painting, what's the first thing you encounter? The presence of something in your world, mm-hmm. if you do it well enough, the first thing, it doesn't matter what it is. Right, a gummy bear, a pill. there. Or, yeah. And it's making a claim against you by its presence, right? There's, it limits what you can do. And that's what moral action is, right? Another person makes a claim against you. You can't kill me, right? You can't, because there's a rebellion by that. Well, things are doing the same thing. You can't run through me, I'm a door, mm-hmm. right? You can't swallow me, I'm a hammer, or whatever, right. whatever it is. It's making a claim against you right i'm a panel with a painting of a pill you can't swallow <laughs> yeah well that's and so that's the thing is if you do well enough that it's it, you are in this simulation right that is actually a claim that you know was a competing claim in the 13th century you know people in the 13th century were making the same thing it was just so radical that the powers that be the didn't, idea didn't, that we didn't that we were all a simulation. Yeah, these kinds of things, like like in the 16th century, Giordano Bruno, right, was put to the stake because he's talking about infinite multiverses, right? He's burned. There are all kinds of things, Galileo, and all these things yeah, yeah. that you had people in power who right. just didn't want what was really radical to actually be considered. Right, and the radical could mean eh, we don't want women voting, right? We, it could, I mean, there's all kinds of manifestations like of the radical. Yeah. You know, and so the question is, can we live with that radical, which all of us is, is nature? It's mm-hmm. the thing we love. It's will we l- let it be what it is? Right. Well, it depends on the radical, and that's what you're doing, right? Your thing is, and, and well, depend. I was gonna say it depends on the radical because there's a bit. You know, it's not big, but it gets silly. You know, attention on the internet of the flat Earth theory. That's incredibly radical. Is and dumb <laughs> but right. it is radical and it's like well are you going to give you know that's a type of radicalness that is just not worth discussing so 
I guess it would depend if the radicalness has like legs. Well, to be like that's radical, but it's thoughtful and very like wow, that is cool, and it is mind-numbing because we can't really understand it. Right, but, but the thing not is, all radicals would be great. Absolutely, yeah. But imagine this: we can't we can't elect the radicals we don't want to deal with, right? So when you put a painting up, and if it's at the Armory Show, right, or it's even if it's at the Gallery Robert Simon, right, mm-hmm. it's on Fifth Avenue, and next door, somebody has a Campbell soup can with poop in it. Mm. Right? You don't get to choose that radical, and you somehow have to make the argument that – because you don't have to make the argument because you could have that painting at home. Mm-hmm. But you've chosen to put it out in the world, mm-hmm. and you've chosen to put it in a place which is potentially next to the Campbell soup can with poop in it. Right. Right? And so at that moment, then you are having to deal with the flat earth, mm. whether you like it or not. Yeah. Right? And so, I, so you can you can ignore <laughs> it, so good. or not, you know, like right? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. So what do you do when you're like, well, I'm just going to go ignore that, but then well, the I, I don't ignore it. Ignore it. So no, so I don't it. ignore it. Partly because since I'm interested in the public liking, yeah, and I need the public, right? Like yeah. part of my argument is that, and I, I talk about like the apple painting, right? Remember when everybody's making apple paintings, mm-hmm, like yeah. when we're starting out, and yeah, they're selling yeah. for 500 bucks, and everybody's selling apple paintings. Yeah, yeah. And at some point, the number of people who wanted the $500 apple painting just went away. Yeah. And they, there was enough apple and paintings. And at the same, time, at the same time, the number of people who the, were painting yeah. $500 apple paintings. Because yes, each 10 yeah. is training 10. Yeah, yeah. And each 10 is training 10, right? <laughs> yeah. And now you have exponential growth and you have no market. Yeah. So I want to talk to those people because, not because I'm a nice guy. I'm a bloodthirsty mercenary. Yeah. I need them to buy my stuff because but that's yeah, how I live. I need a bigger pool of people. Yeah, always. And, yeah, and, and that's who I'm trying to discuss to say, listen, I'm not going to make it impossible to buy the poop cam, Campbell yeah. soup can. But here's another option, yeah. and I would be willing to say, if you listen to me, I could tell you why these two competing things now are that you might want to choose mine or right. even better or if you're a not mine <laughs> not mine but Ted's or Tony's right right and i would hope that as you would say yeah, as part yeah. of a group that yeah. because i feel icky saying hey look at my painting but if we're in the group right. i would hope that you know somebody else would say look at tony's yeah, look painting look at tony's right. Stuff. Yeah. So but i mean we i think that's what we got out of i mean to some degree or a thing that we got out of water street is like a bunch of people who are doing, you know, fairly different things. I mean, I, 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 it'd be hard to confuse your paintings with Tony, Tony's paintings with Tony, <laughs> yeah. uh, or or with mine. Like it would just, it would be obvious. Or with Kate's or uh, Kate Lehman or Travis Schlott. Like we all have like pretty, I think, distinct, just uh, identities artistically, uh, and and so we have this group where we can argue f- on behalf of each other. Without really having to like, yeah, do I, that icky thing that just that self promotion that I think we're all fairly uncomfortable with. Yeah, and I do it just, and I do it mainly because I'm on my own, right? right? I mean, to some degree, yeah. you have to do yeah. it, right? But I do think, even on a philosophical, well, and you do believe in it. Like you're not yeah. doing it because you don't like. I, I, as as hard as it is for me to talk about, you know, I'm painting waves because i believe in something this like journey that i'm on this journey that i'm on that i like i have some belief in it yeah. you know but see i would contend oh go ahead Tony. oh i was gonna say um but also the reason uh is we can debate but philosophically i think there is something we 
on the big picture we agree with and at least coming from the same, you know, when we were talking about coming kind of from the same yeah. place. But one thing I did want to mention, and I think we've talked about this before, is since we kind of philosophically think about there's a certain thing that we kind of agree on, the idea of having an alternative to go outside of this Campbell's soup can with the poop in it. I I, th I think at, in the beginning there was this whole philosophy that we were like, we got to well, I, not me, but I think there was this idea that you were supposed to go out and destroy that. And I was like, no, I think it actually should exist. I think that it's fine, we're not gonna destroy it. It's too much effort to get rid of it. So the I, putting an alternative out there for people to say, if you don't get that, that's okay, here's this. And if you do get that, Okay, cool. And I do like what you're saying and about by the way, trying, what are you to, trying to almost bring right. them to our side. But so here's what I'll say. So in a way, you need to have that exist to be able to bring them to your side. I'll, and then otherwise, there's not going to be an alternative. Right. So here's would be the one. I totally agree. But here's the one criticism of what I have to say. I would, and you could say I'm wrong, right? Mm -hmm. But I would say that up to this point. Right. Most of the advocacy for look over here because it has value has been, and because most people are artists, has been, we're going to put beautiful stuff up on the wall, uh -huh. and it's going to command a place because it's beautiful. Uh -huh. And you don't feel like and that's I don't feel that's yeah. it ha it's, enough. It, it's not enough. Yeah. And, and because it's in— Well, that's if you build it, they will come, and I've changed my mind a I bit mean, on I, that, too, because— I thought that too, and I do realize that you build it and they will come because I will build it because philosophically I believe in it, but I can't just rely on they will come anymore. Well, who comes, right? Yeah. The people that come are the ones that are interested in generally the... the, te the like they're sold already the on technical the technical narrative. Yeah, and, and the way it's framed, right? Yeah. So if you frame it in a certain way, those are the people who will... It's like virtue signaling your... Yeah, yeah. And, and it's a wonderful thing, right? I yeah. love craft. I love being in there, you know, doing a 10... I've done 10-month paintings, right? Yeah. And all this stuff, and I love it. But the question is, is that going to bring in the people that actually make this viable and also an interesting dialogue versus the Campbell's poop? Philosophically, yes. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, Reality, maybe. no. Or... Or maybe it that's, is. Who that's knows? who knows. I mean, yeah, and yeah. I don't have an answer to that. My, my feeling as having been outside of it and going in is that, um, and that's why I say you, you, you could be, is that I tend to think that the people in the group still value that it's going to be enough. Mm -hmm. And if you're outside of it, you experience that it's not enough. Mm. Right? Now, I would love to be in, uh, in the dynamic where that you have that support, right? Where if somebody's thinking, hmm, we need a workshop, let's call it, right? Because those are all support mechanisms that exist inside that group. Right. Right? Yeah. And make that group easy. If you're not, just solely being in the marketplace well, next to that thing doesn't work. You know, but, I mean, you could also argue that those workshops or, or conferences like FACE are, I mean, it's mostly preaching to the choir, but, you know, you could also argue that a lot of the people who are, um, who you're you're presenting this stuff to? It's it's making the argument against the poop can, like that we're having a conversation here in order to talk about something, not not to like destroy the soup can necessarily, but just to talk about why this other viable option is not only just viable but like 
profound, important, like necessary. Yeah. Oh, so in all those things, uh, my only claim, totally agree with that. My only claim is I think some of the other dimensions, there need to be other dimensions other than the fact that we all agree that this is an right. attractive, stylistic approach. Right. So and it is somehow related to history. That we're going to have to work a little harder, dig a little deeper, and yes. do a little bit more homework. Yeah. And reading, which is going to be a real nightmare for some of us. <laughs> not pointing fingers, not naming names. You're looking at me right now. Reading. Or, or so, I, and I would also say, you know, I've, I have met people, and yeah. we all know who those people are, who are just so attuned to reality that they, they don't need to read, right? Right. Yeah. There, there's some people who are just fucking on a wavelength that... So I'm not saying everybody right. has to do that. But that's also like saying, huh, I'm going to start my child playing the piano because Mozart was really good at four, right? right. Those people are few and far between. Yeah. And we all know who they are. But the truth is, okay... And they so may not have to do that. They may not have to read. But somebody has to do that. But I think that those people also, you know, if you're doing it, you're talking about it and they're listening to you right. and maybe even listening to you on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> Shout out, you know who you are. <laughs> but we all know those people, right? There are people who yeah, just yeah. like, yeah, they get it, yeah. right? I mean, they're the people who we all emulated when we were studying because yeah. we're like, holy And cow. what were we saying when Tony was talking about? It's like, during your talk, you're like, yeah, when you when I'm doing like the reason I'm doing you know that talk on the three hour still life right and I'm doing it is because the first one is pretty shitty yeah so I need to do twenty five because I'm hoping I'm not you know I started late I'm not natively talented I wasn't you know doing murals on the side of my crib at age one yeah. you know with uh, with spit and fecal matter <laughs> right? like doing like Last Supper so, like so thoughtful yeah. but but so I need to do work. Right. And it takes yeah. me over and over and over again to get. And I think the idea that somehow it's all premised on the person who is just innately because that would go against the very thing we're talking about, which mm -hmm. is the hard work, the craft, the grit or whatever. Mm -hmm. and that's not meant to exclude those people who just have it. Right. Right. Some people just there's like doesn't mean they don't work hard, but they yeah. have something. But right? the, the people who have it all they have they have it all is in so rare right it's so that's, that's what i mean incredibly rare the the idea of like using the word genius or something but the like truth that. is it's, it's just and, not, and i think it's, it's not like, very um, real it's it's almost like i i think we all are are like not even mildly but deeply offended by the fact that the world is not looking at their like incredible genius because th those people are and and Everybody listening to this has like come across some artist who just like intuitively makes everything they t is just it's got it's just beautiful it's just yeah. aesthetically like they just have some way of making whatever if they're drawing your hand on a table or painting or whatever it's just going to be beautiful and those people the fact that like the art world is celebrating the poop can and isn't celebrating those people is offensive right but you saying it's offensive mm -hmm. is also agreeing that it's important to you because of its inherent value which you're able to perceive oh, absolutely. yes that somehow even though that person may do it for him or herself and mm -hmm. you may do it for yourself and i may do it primarily for myself right that there's still always this kind of deep communicative element in this weird way right yeah. it exists outside of us right and 
I mean, it's something offensive. World, yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Within, yeah, it's a, yeah. somehow it just rubs you the wrong way that this there is an injustice to that. Well, there is, like a celebrated. I mean, the the fecal can is is you know it's a pretty extreme example, but I mean, like you see it all the time. You see these things that you, you just you can't imagine how this thing is celebrated and right. Uh, yeah. And, and I think it exists in the art world in a way that it wouldn't exist. And to be honest, actually, like to take the fecal can example, like I would say probably more recently when I go to these like art fairs, and I, I haven't gone to one that recently, but when I have, I've seen that the the craft of the fecal can has gotten better. Like people are actually mm-hmm. like making a, you know, doing it well in some I don't know that there's a way to do a fecal can well but like the things that they're doing these installations with mirrors or whatever like you look at it and you're like wow that yeah. like whereas like the Damien Hirst shark he, I mean it was so poorly done it was like it's kind of like a cool idea that belongs in the Natural History Museum and they would do it well there they would actually but do he it did like very a, well I mean there. the craft of it was, was terrible horrible, and that, yeah. I, and I think that I find kind of insulting and and maybe even the fecal can is too broad of an example because well, like at, if you could do it well you know if if that shark could be done well it would actually be kind of a you know you I don't know it would be an engaging thing to look at. Why do you think that is? Why do you do you think it's because of technology that, or no, I or don't. I, I, I think everybody can see so much so quickly now that they need to have things be crafted a little bit better than it used to be because you're inundated by by so much information. I don't. I I agree, and I don't know exactly why. Even things that are would normally not be aesthetically good at least they're doing it at a better quality yeah i i i mean i don't know the answer to that but to me i guess the difference is that in in the past is that i'm open to engaging that question and i open myself to it by going to the fair right yeah and so even if I find one thing yeah. that I like, or I find things, but what I don't go is with an attitude that it needs to be torn down. Right. Yeah. Although, you know, then if I'm going to argue the other side of it, which <laughs> maybe I feel compelled to, I, uh, I went to film school, and one of the things that, you know, I don't know, we, we, were, we think about a lot is every ticket sold is a vote for more of that movie. So if superhero movies are selling tickets, they're going to make more more superhero superhero movies. And if independent movies are selling lots of tickets, you're going to see lots of studios with independent divisions making lots of independent films. And when you buy tickets to those art fairs, you're supporting you know, a lot of stuff that probably, like maybe the one thing you pick out Maybe you're kind of supporting that, but you're also supporting the, you know, 9,900 other things that you kind of hate. And I think those art fairs in general probably, uh, you know, they've been described as meat markets, and that's kind of what they are. And, you know, I I don't know that there's anything like real deep there either. Well, so here's here's how I look at that, right? I grew up in a very Catholic family. Uh Uh-huh. And I grew up under religious influence, right? All yeah. the way through, you know, like in a very, 
And so through college, right? Yeah, even after college, yeah. right? Like I probably until I started at Water Street. Right. And so one of the things that I was involved with, right, would have that if I wanted to read a book, I had to check it with the priest, okay? Oh, wow. And they still have, like in those more conservative, the prohibited list of books, like an censors. index. Yeah. So the idea that, and they used to use the example, you know, if you go into a medicine closet, you're not just going to take all the medicines off and put them in your mouth, right? Mm -hmm. And I go, yeah, I might actually, right? <laughs> with the idea being that, you know, oh man, you just are not going to go into the library because those things are dangerous. Well, ideas are <laughs> so <laughs> No, so they are. But what, yeah. what, what I have come is, is it better for me to choose to read the book which is potentially dangerous right. or to put myself in the to hands for yourself of another person right. who is coming with you know an incredibly particular viewpoint well and a complex set of motives complex set of motives and i am now completely abdicating my ability to so yeah. that's how i look at the the thing and so that's the option right and right. we may not see that now yeah but that that being a reality is a super recent thing in history right right most people are on the list of some kind of prohibition right mm -hmm. whether it's cultural familial whatever um and so having direct experience of that like i wanted to read vladimir nabokov lolita mm -hmm. and they're like eh -eh. <laughs> <laughs> you're not reading and i actually didn't i you know it wasn't it wasn't what i thought it was going to be and i actually didn't enjoy it right <laughs> i was no, hoping I mean, for much much more <laughs> yeah and, and i like nabokov like i've read yeah. almost all the books I, but i was like but the point was i was like i found it even having grown up in that right my point was Listen, I've had enough experience with things. I will be, like even drawing, right? Yeah. They did not want me to draw the nude because they thought it would be an occasion of sin. The Catholic right? Church? The, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, the representatives of and the, the priests, right? They were right. like, you know, but, I mean, gonna, the Catholic Church is I mean, full the, of yeah, nudes. The Catholic I mean, Church is but, but the, No, yeah. so when I painted something for this group, right, and it had Da Vinci's Vitruvian Man, it right. has literally a squiggle penis, right? right. Yeah. They wanted me to cover it up because the women who were cleaning the, the rooms would have to, would clean have the to clean penis. Would have to be in the room with the squiggly penis, right? Oh, and they might cause them, they're seeing, you know, male genitalia. And, and they're just going to go off they're wild. Going yeah. to, they can't help themselves. Yeah. Like, if they oh, go God. and visit the Vatican, they're seeing that. No, I mean. Yeah. Well, so they would, in that case, you know, if they thought it was problematic, they would avert their eyes, right? They would just look down. Right? But why you don't can't look they at avert it. their eyes? Uh, I mean, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. That, it's just, sorry. I, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not trying to make but you into the no, 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 no. But what I'm saying is. As the priest at the table. That, that's in 1990s from. And, and so it's, it's a, an extreme but very right. real example yeah, yeah. of the option of going to the art fair with all of the problematic stuff. Another example of it was like we were talking about before. You know, I just finished the, you know, a couple months ago this. And I didn't know who he was. This is a 16th century, early 17th. He died, he died in. 1600 Giordano mm -hmm. Bruno right right yeah he's coming up with these multiverse he t he was the first to proclaim the universe was infinite uh -huh. right this was after kind of all the other Copernican things he's like saying no this is it's it's got to go on forever it's got to go on the, forever what would the boundaries look yeah and they burned him at the stake right yeah. and one of the important things and one of his uh really and i never knew this was that he used to go and i forget where it is somewhere in germany but a book fair mm -hmm. right where all of those ideas it was a marketplace of ideas like classical was, books that predated everything medieval, you know it was yeah. uh 
it could have been classical, it could have been contemporary writings, pamphlets, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was the only place that he could get things published because oh, it was in a Protestant okay. state, yeah. right? And it was outside of the purview. He was a Dominican friar uh-huh. who was r- running from the Inquisition, who, which eventually caught him and killed and him. him. So it's an example, right? But but if somebody, James Joyce used it as an example, right, and was a hero, and actually has a statue somewhere right outside the Vatican, right? He's kind of hand like this. and But he's one of the icons <laughs> We're of like— We're sorry we burned you. <laughs> he's like an My icon bad. of free speech, right, and free thought. And so that's—the thing is that, you know, to say that somehow this other impending limitation, which we experience in different ways even now, right, uh-huh. it, it is, is that it, it doesn't somehow exist or have real impact. In fact, in history, it was the prevailing thing. right. It was a prevailing thing, and so um, I opt for taking all the medicines out of the medicine closet. Mm-hmm. And it puts me in danger, and uh, you know, I told the priest, I will put myself in danger. Right. I mean, I, I don't necessarily know that it puts you in danger, but I do think that you're by buying a ticket, you're supporting that art fair. Right. And, that- and I see a good in that, like I see a good in not having to ask him if I can read Lolita. <laughs> right, right. That, that's how I see it. Is that's that engagement is just it's it's important to well the engagement speak. and the ability for me to discern what I should engage. Right, what is necessary for me for the next step of my intellectual, moral, whatever development. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess that uh, the way I look at it, like, um, I mean, I'm using extreme example. Right. right? And, no, no, but, but like the art fair. I mean, I think that that's because I I also think you could. There are plenty of ways to look at what's happening without, you know, contributing, like, paying money to this organization that is creating the framework for all these things to have them. Uh, It's creating a market for these things. Yeah, but I mean, I I look at it as... um you know, everybody coming here, right, to face. You got to do a little bit of, yeah. Like, nothing is free, right? right? And so there's a buy-in, and some things have a, a negative. I, I don't see the negative consequence as being so great that I mind spending that yeah, money. Yeah. There are certain things that I I, I don't, right? Yeah. There are certain things I'm viscerally against. I'm not, I wouldn't give five cents to, to you know, even if it was People an ad- can. <laughs> even if it was an advantage to me, right? In all right. kinds of aspects of society. But that one I I have come to the conclusion for me yeah. that I don't have that now I, it doesn't mean you don't have it, right? right? And I would understand and you make the argument. Well, I just don't I feel think, that. Yeah. Especially because I see the advantage of if I can go to that art fair, I can do what I couldn't nearly afford to do by going to all those different places and mm-hmm. getting a feeling I couldn't fly to Dortmund to see that gallery, and I couldn't fly to Johannesburg to see that gallery, and I couldn't fly to, you know, because a lot of it's there in one place. Yeah, well, I mean, or, you know, just walk down a couple blocks in Chelsea and— But I'm not in Chelsea. I'm in fucking Akron, Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I'm seriously. And and so when I went to college, right, people don't realize— I always thought, oh, you know, it's just like you're making a move of quantity, right? Mm-hmm. You're just changing place. Right. It's a qualitative difference. Right. The mentality, and we see it in our politics, we see it in all kinds of different things, right? It's a qualitative difference what you do and how you think about things as opposed to even going to Princeton, right? And then you go to New York and you start seeing. It's not simply, and then I see my wife, you know, Spanish. It's 
fundamentally different, right? So all these places that are unique places actually have unique mentalities. It's not simply unique ge- group mentalities to those places. Unique group mentalities, right. and then also kind of individual possibilities that are also potential because of the relationships to those groups. Mm-hmm. Or even that there are so many more groups, right? Water Street, that, yeah. that is not happening in Akron, Ohio at that time. Yeah. Now it may be, but it yeah. only happened because Water Street happened. Right, and, there's somebody, a guy, and you moved back there. And there's a, well, there's a guy that's starting it who was at the night. He probably took classes with you who's starting a, a place in Cleveland. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, that's possible now because you had this unique thing starting on Paul Hemus, right? Right. It was amazing. Yeah. I remember walking with in there Jacob the first Collins time and, and you yeah. could feel, right? And then you go from Paul Hemus when it starts. And that's when I started, when it started at, at, at uh, Water, Street. Water Street. And you're like, holy shit, this is incredible. And that's not happening anywhere else in that way. Yeah. You know? And so now things happen and you take it for granted because it, as a good thing, it's happening in other places. Yeah, yeah. The question is, you still need to do the work to make sure that there's not erosion as it happens. Yeah. Right? It was such an interesting dynamic time, I think, when we were all studying together. And maybe this is just nostalgia, but I do think that, like, so much of it was us kind of, as a group, like, branching off and following our interests and then coming back and saying, like, you know... Uh, I think I had never heard of Antonio Mancini until Kate Lehman started talking about him. And then we encountered a painting. We were in Boston together and encountered a painting of his. And it was like just, I mean, it, another dimension to painting that I didn't know existed. And it was it was so, like, exciting to see. And we all come back and share this idea that this guy, you know, and the way he worked and what, you know, trying to understand, I mean, there's not a lot written about him, but like trying to understand what his perspective was, but we were all kind of adding to this, like just bringing in pieces. And, and I I think it was, um, it wasn't really like, I don't think any of us was looking at it as a school. I think it was more like a collective. It was definitely not a school and definitely not a unified style. Yeah. Right. That, that was the thing. Cause it really was at some point, you were going to do your thing. Somebody else was doing, Kate was doing her thing. Yeah. You know, and people were doing their thing. Yeah. But it all somehow fit under an umbrella because there's enough commonality there that your interest could feed me. And, right. You know, and it just yeah. kind of the thing we're talking about, talking about before, right? Yeah. And I, I wonder if as it goes, I, as a distant viewer, it seems like because it has become codified it's become more of a style Mm. you know and so then that becomes a style and what makes it particularly difficult is that style also carries the argument that this is a recuperation of this grand style which are the masters that we are all in love with it's interesting, right? Though, I mean, Does that make sense as a yeah, like a narrative, like kind of? But I, I mean, I almost see it as this like winding road, and you know, there are roads. You know, you're a road that branches off. It's it's like there's a fork, and you take one fork, and Tony uh, takes another fork, and you know, but the road that that winding road continues on, and I, I see all these branches coming off these other forks, and people kind of. And maybe those forks parallel the road a little bit more closely in, in some cases as it becomes more codified. But 
I still see them, these kind of diverging paths coming out of that, which, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree yeah. with that. Yeah, I think that's true. But I also, I guess I haven't, my, it's my personal experience. It doesn't mean I'm evaluating the world correctly, but I feel a real urgency mm-hmm. to have a broader base mm-hmm. of understanding because yeah. that's what makes it viable. Right. Because if there's no viability, like in the, in the essay I wrote for this three-hour still life thing, it's like the painter can be as idealistic as he or she wants, right? You're saying, I'm doing this because I love it. I'm doing this. But somewhere along the way, somebody's paying your electric bill. Right. It could be you with your painting. It right. could be a patron. It could be whatever. Andrew Yang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's giving you a, I hope so. It's like, Sad said, Andy. Yeah. But somebody's paying the bill. Yeah. Right. And that somebody is somehow involved in something that either the painter thinks that he or she doesn't want to get her hands dirty because so ideal. Right. Right. But somebody's got their hands in the muck, making the money to pay the bill so that we can do what we do. Mm -hmm. So I kind of find it a little bit off-putting to not have us have our hands dirty to some degree in that muck to create a bigger thing so that we can be viable. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, that's because somebody's doing it, whether we're doing it or somebody's doing it on our behalf. It's kind of like, you know, well, you don't want we're somebody. buying phones that somebody is, you know, working for, you know, really awful wages in China. We're like, man, I've got two iPhones. I've got all this thing. Those people can't eat. Right. But you're like, I got my iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing is happening potentially with painting. Right. It's like you're doing your thing. And it's, but somebody's paying for the time, which is wonderful to do a 10 month painting. This crazy thing that, you know what? In Akron, Ohio, nobody needs or wants what we do, yeah. <laughs> right? I want them to want it. I'm making the argument. I right. wish they did. I think it would change their lives. It changed mine. Yeah. I love it. I'm not saying it's, but they don't, right? Right. And so the question is... Because they need four cameras on their phone. <laughs> yeah, and most people need... Yeah, they need four cameras, but that most people, you know, like the average income in Cleveland is like $25,000. The average right. home price in Akron is $62,000. Yeah. If I go and I say, oh, man, I got $10,000 painting, they're like, what? <laughs> right? I mean, you lose sight of, like, yeah. who can actually engage with yeah. and support what we're doing. Yeah. So do, do you think as far as when you're looking at uh, proximity to where the actual painting is, like, you know, your studio, that um, that's just going to get small, uh, bigger and bigger and bigger? I mean, it's already big, but the idea of the you know the internet or technology meaning you might as you can be in Akron Ohio but you know somebody in Washington state is could be it's as if they were down the street in Ohio as well because the world is getting so small no so here's the reality I I think I'm not beyond using I I mean I I post I I post all the time right like I'm spamming the internet too (laughs) (laughs) I'm not just spamming my friends on standing it's like hey guys I'm here right like but what I find is that most people especially when I do a really tightly rendered trompe painting most people will say what an asshole that guy's just like taping stuff up on the wall Right? Uh, Nobody knows because it... it, it looks it, like a photograph. It, well, it doesn't look like a photograph. It looks like I literally took a picture of stuff yeah. taped on the wall. Right. So nobody knows that it's even a painting, even if you tell them that it's a painting. But they're very brushy. I mean... The, well, recent ones. Yeah. But like, so I've started to go, like, my interests have changed to some right. degree, right? But like the early ones, it made me kind of think, I'm like, hmm, what's going on here? Right? Like, what's... Right. Because, so as much as I hate, I, I despise the digital thing because yeah. the one thing we have is that the only place you can see your painting and have 
this kind of portal to this experience of both you as the artist and the thing you rendered and yeah. the painting itself yeah. is by being in front of the painting. Right, yeah. I, that's the thing that's lost. Yeah. And I've seen it for myself, but I think it's a universally true thing is yeah. that the one, th- the, the one selling point yeah. is that it's a unique meeting between a thing, a person engaging that thing, an expression of it in some kind of medium, and the person bringing to the viewing experience what they have. And that's fucking magic. Yeah. That, you know? Yeah. And, and that doesn't happen on Instagram. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be getting, I mean, it's only getting worse because everything, and even though I said the thing about, you know, proximity, we've talked a lot about um, the digital image ruining. Well, we don't. Good, good painting. We only record the podcast when we're together. Yeah. And we're, we're with, you know, you because that this actual interaction where we're together and i can see like you know your hands moving and i can sense like it it produces a certain kind of conversation that you just i hate talking to people on the phone yeah, yeah. like to, to skype and i know a lot of um podcasts do they do the skype thing but yeah we made a deal even though I'm not in New York right now, that when we record, we record in the same room together because it is the hang thing, Yeah, you know? So I know that I've seen, and we've said this on the podcast before, I've seen paintings that I was like, wow, that looks really good on the internet. And then I've seen the painting up close and I'm like, <laughs> it just leaves me completely, it's just void. Yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, you know the thing that changed my <laughs> life was was, uh, was working at Christie's. I, I, you know, I studied art history, and I didn't, it was not exciting to me at all because I was looking at these glossy images in art history books. Yeah, yeah, Jansen. And occasionally you see a painting, right? But actually the first three years I was there, the Art History Museum at Princeton was closed. So, and it's a great art history museum, like for or an art museum, for mm-hmm. especially for university, but it was closed. They were renovating. They were putting on a new edition. <laughs> so I never, you know, I had very few interactions with paintings. Right. And so then even if the painting was like some, you know, plump monk with a bottle of beer looking at, you know, some v- like v- nubile <laughs> boy, like with, with uh, which is what they have, right? I mean, that's, that's part of the 19th century. <laughs> but Umberto Eco. <laughs> like holding those paintings, yeah. even if it wasn't a good painting, is better than looking at an image that we know what color correction is, right? Yeah, so yeah. the colors aren't right. Yeah, yeah. The scale is nothing. Yeah, yeah. Like, right? Like it says. So there's nothing of the painting in the image, which is 99% of the paintings that we see. Yeah, yeah. And then we develop these ideas about these paintings based on, and it's what we have. And so I'm not like a perfectionist. Well, it's and better than not knowing the right. painting at all, or yeah. like. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying. So the yeah, limitations. Yeah. So then I can hold a third rate. And I remember there was a Soroya painting that I got in. Uh, and I was like, this is a piece of shit, right? And I didn't know. I was. I, this was before I was painting. Yeah. And it was just sitting there on the, and I hadn't framed it up. And because I was thinking, Soroya is supposed to be this great painter, right? And it's just these purples and grays and blacks. And it was just a big muck fest, right? And for some reason, it's one of those things like those visual puzzles where at some point you see it, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a whale. And it congealed. Yeah. yeah. And it was the swirling water on the rocks in oh, Valencia, wow. like Javea or yeah, whatever yeah. is, you know? And it was it was that. The paint was that. Yeah. It was amazing, right? And then you can't unsee it. And yeah. at that moment you're like, 
And it's, it was a Sorori, and it was like eight to $12,000. It was nothing you'd never see in a museum. It's probably yeah. in somebody's house, you know, like outside a bathroom. In the bathroom. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> they're like, man, you see the water. You want to yeah. go to the bathroom. And they're like, oh, you know, we have enough money. We can or buy a toilet. toilet. It looks yeah. just like it. Valencian water. <laughs> right? So it's it's totally insignificant. Yeah. That was infinitely better than any, and I will always remember that, right? Like mm-hmm. that, because it was this material thing. Yeah. You know? And you watched it transform. And, just, and I got it. Yeah. Right? And I don't know why I got it. Some, it's like, but... Those kinds of experiences, it, the painting didn't have to be, a bad painting was better than a, an image of a good painting Yeah, in some weird way. Yeah. You so know? when you're back to uh, the and idea. And that wasn't of, a bad painting. I mean, that was yeah, a great right, painting. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, yeah. When you're, you know, kind of throwing out the, your, that net as far as like, you know, selling and getting people to see your paintings. So that means if you want to get it to more and more eyeballs, the actual experience that you're talking about means that you have to figure out a way to get it in front of physically yeah. more eyeballs. Yeah. And that, you know. Well, so you're showing in New York. Yeah. And, so is that like yeah. gallery shows or is there another, you know, is there another um, plan? Or Hang is them it on like the side of a truck and just yeah, drive, just it, drive it around. With it, a or, is it, or is it gallery? Like, is that still, still going to be the solution is to show it at a gallery or I I mean, I don't know yet. I mean, it seems or fairs or fairs or something like that. Like how do you get that experience? But at the fair, it wouldn't work because you're now in, in a big room filled with 150,000 other pieces of work and you can have the best painting in the world. How's your one walk by by one? Walk by it. You you lose the experience. But that's one of the reasons why I started, started doing those. Right. Yeah. Because, so you do small paintings, right? And you're yeah. talking about, I've found that one of the most interesting things is it doesn't really matter what the painting is of. Mm-hmm. If I can put a one inch by one inch painting, which is the same that I do of anything, right? I'm mm-hmm. spending the same amount of time, yep. attentiveness, whatever, regardless of the subject, it's actual size. So it's not a miniature. Right. It's not like a dollhouse painting. It's just something that's small, generally like insignificant. Or- yeah, whatever, gummy bear or whatever, painted with the same attentiveness. But... What I particularly like is that it you can't, like most people do in museums and art fairs and gallery shows, sweep through with a glass of wine. Yeah. You have to make a choice. To stop and... To stop and to right. walk up to it, and it demands intimacy. Yeah. Right? So those paintings are almost more about this huge wall with this small thing that the smallness of it demands that you investigate. It's almost like the beacon to get you to... What is that small exactly. thing? Exactly. And, so then, and the only way to see it is... Is... Close up. Super close yeah. up. There was a Charlie Kaufman film, and uh, one of the characters was a painter, and she painted these tiny, tiny miniature portraits, and she had a gallery show, and by each portrait was like a chain attached to a magnifying glass, and people were going through the gallery, and they'd stop at each painting, grab the magnifying glass, look at it through, and actually, I think... The artist who painted that, I remember seeing the movie and being shocked at how good these portraits are and thinking, like, if I see a good portrait, I must have to know who this person is. Like, it's not, there's no way that this person would be off, not on my radar. And it was uh, Alex Konevsky, you know? Yeah, really? yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did all the paintings for the movie, I think. Yeah. He was doing uh, he was doing miniature portraits. Well, I don't know if they were necessarily mini- I mean it was could have been trick photography. Oh, <laughs> you oh. know, but it was like these, you know, smaller than a stamp sized and yeah, oh, um, but it, it was that idea that like every yeah. painting you would have to stop. 
it's a tiny dot in the wall that you can't so you choose to look you poke up the magnifying glass then you're viewing it through this like very kind of controlled set and then you're you're engaging with it and it and it's a reality no different than you know most of the compositions are are chosen because of the way like you were talking about right you're painting a certain that you have a reception you need mm-hmm. to draw them in i mean so in your choosing of subjects and size and whatever that's already going on yeah it's all in play it's all in play yeah. and so the question is in those paintings yeah is it like the most compelling subject no but it is a thing yeah it's it, the fact that it is a thing is infinitely valuable yeah. to me and then what's particularly interesting is is not even the quality of the thing but then the relationship that one needs to have because what it's saying is pay fucking attention yeah yeah doesn't matter what it is yeah look pay attention stop right yeah that's what i'm so that element if on those paintings wall space where it's like it somebody can zero in on it yeah, yeah. but that those paintings that's what that's part of it. it has nothing to do even with the it's just engagement but some of it's just engagement i, yeah. I think what i enjoy most is the engagement right yeah. And I also enjoy the, the price point, right? A lot of people can afford that painting that right. can't afford anything else. Yeah. And when I had the first show in Cleveland, I had 40 of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there were two that didn't sell. That's oh. in Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And that and adds so, up to, like, the big— And it was, re- yeah. it was actually real money, yeah. right, at the end when you sell them. Yeah. But it was with a group of people who they go to the show, and it's like— it's like your daughter or your son who wants to put 75 cents in, twist the thing, yeah. Yeah. and have something. Why? It doesn't matter. Yeah. What do they want? They just want to go someplace and have something, mm-hmm. right? That's the American, right? You go someplace, you want something. <laughs> Those people wanted something, and they were able to afford it. And it was a real work of art. That, And I thought that was a really cool thing, that I could do that in Cleveland. Yeah. Right? The idea that it, everything is $10,000, which are my paintings and it and it has to be because we need to survive and it takes you two months to paint totally get it not a, not criticizing but that if that's all that painting is that's it's, a problem yeah meaning it's ten thousand dollars yeah because i yeah. want people like me from where i was from to be able to have access to paintings right, right? which is why face and those things are great yeah well it's also the reason why they get to come and see and talk and do and see it in person yeah, yeah. well i also think that's why sometimes for me, the idea of realism, whatever the name is, is so appealing because I do think it's a direct communication with that. Yeah. Um, the idea of a lot of modern art is you're kind of not invited to the party. Uh, you need whatever that analogy of you need an instruction manual on how to look at it. It's incredibly elitist. Yeah. Which is weird because uh, realism or or whatever c- contemporary, you know, representationalism it has this bad rap of being elitist, and I'm like, not really. I think it's it's a very pure form of communication between the artist and the viewer. Candy. Yeah, but I think, candy, I think I think candy, candy. Yeah, candy. but I think you have to remember that one, the thing that they were tearing down when they were trying to be elite was was that, a group yeah. of elitists. Yes. Right, which society essentially was. Yes. Right, and secondly, if you read, and I, like I said, I love this kind of thing. Right, is that there's a lot in modern philosophy that supports what we're doing, because they're saying yeah. that they're trying to recoup things that over time that elite that they were trying to destroy had made 
basic human things impossible and invalid unless you were part of that of other the, elite. So let me ask you this: right? we have we have couldn't even fathom, <laughs> but we have I mean, a tendency as humans to kind of rip down the elite. Um, and the elite right now, let's say, keep it in the in the world of art, is let's say modern art, the gatekeepers, the five gatekeepers who run it. it, it is there a point where you need to rip that down? Because we were talking about how not we weren't going to rip that down, not us, but like that it should exist. Is there going to be a point where people are going to start ripping down? There's a big canvas with a scribble on it, and it's ten million dollars or something like that. Well, like, so, does that need to be ripped down or not? So I don't, I don't think about that. Mm-hmm. The way I think about it is that I am constantly ripping down my engagement. Okay. Right, because I really can't answer that, and I don't want to get into a mob mentality of ripping anything down. Yeah, just because it it's might have an Arola. Yeah, it just, I just, I just, and I'm not saying I'm not trying to evade a question. I just don't feel comfortable. But the way I'll answer it is to say, and you can see my paintings change. Right, yeah, I'm yeah. constantly trying in a genuine way to do justice to the change of my experience of the world that is not me. Why so I'm th- ripping down myself, yeah. and I don't know how – I don't really feel comfortable enough saying that I can rip down yeah. other people. Why right? do you think right? – Well, it, not yeah. that they're right or wrong. I just I – just, and if the things by virtue rip them down, well, then I, I can't – You know, if it's an assault, what I'm saying that rips it down by vir- – you know, By virtue of by saying tangent, what you're saying, yeah. Okay, but but I'm not out there. I, I, listen, it's it's a free for all. People can do yeah. whatever the hell they and want. It's such a big world. Such a big world. Such a big world. And I'm just trying to carve out mine. And I'm also actively trying to carve out other people's yeah. who I like. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like I think that's an important thing to me. I um, think it's an important thing to a lot of at least our little crew because that's only I can only judge on something I know. I can't judge somebody else's because I don't know what it's like in yeah. their world but, or anything. But I do think that's a common thing in our little world is propping up legitimately propping up things that we think are legitimately good yeah and then joe rogan has this thing where he's like i have never heard of a podcast (laughs) i have a he has a certain amount of bandwidth right in his mind right and there's certain things you just can't put in there because and that's one of the things that i just don't put in there because you I find that it, it's so hard to do what we're doing that what I don't need is to be bitter. Yeah. Right? I don't need any bitterness because then I would get it's, in my studio just, slightly— It's just counterproductive. Yeah, my studio is slightly cold. My painting is slightly shitty. My <laughs> bank account is slightly empty. My heart's slightly blind. <laughs> my wife is slightly upset. <laughs> my, daughter, my daughter is slightly older. <laughs> and I'm like, everything is going again. And so I don't need to feel that extra negative thing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like— it's just that was just blackness, you know, like this heaviness that I just and I would be depressed and I just wouldn't do it. So I just choose to like worry about this thing that I like doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I do it as well as I can. I try to engage as much as I can. And, you know, then whatever happens, happens. Well, I've been enjoying your yeah, engagement. Yeah. I was going to say, what time is we, your? I should go because yeah. I, I yeah, got to have to yeah. get out of here. Well, thank you. Do you have? So well, much do you have anything uh, coming up or anything? I don't know when this is going to come out, but I this, always try to. If you're plugging anything, like we probably should plug. Don't. But do you if you want to talk like, about like your Instagram yeah, handle, your Instagram where people can find your work, that would probably be. 
Well, in in the uh, spirit of what we were talking about before, I'll I'll uh, pass on any okay. self plugging. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Master Mateo yeah. at Anthony Master Mateo on Instagram. Yeah. Send me your email so I can spam you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for coming. Yeah, I no, think it's a it's a real pleasure. Fun. We've talked about it for a while. For a yeah, while. And, uh, it's a real pleasure. Yeah, to, yeah, I, to finally fun. sit down. We've been planning this yeah. for a long and it time. felt like a really nice conversation. Yeah. As opposed yeah. to like, I didn't know questions. The other crap or, we put out. No, no, no. <laughs> it was like I really enjoy it. Like, the, the good thing about the podcast is we come incredibly incredibly unprepared for all of them <laughs> yeah so whatever so happens, is a new happens. Experience, we just yeah. meaning if we were to have this discussion or a discussion with you uh, next week it would be a completely different discussion yeah, because I, we don't come with questions or prepared uh so i think that's part of the hang of the podcast and thanks for hanging out with us yeah, yeah. you never step in the same river twice right no, of course <laughs> and not. thank you uh face for bringing us all together yeah. and uh thank you for listening all right see y'all later yeah thank you bye thanks.